0: Amen, my brothers and sisters, we are back in the word of God, and we're going to continue our hijacked praise and worship series, and last week we looked at the foundation of praise, uh, I'm sorry, of worship, today we're going to look at, uh, that's my baby, (laughs) today we're going to look at praise, we're going to look at praise, amen. And I today it'll be, we will be looking at a lot of scripture, so just kind of give me that heads up. Um, and I, I pray that you really, I pray that God really opens your eyes to what we're going to look at today. It, it's so vital, as you will see, praise and the, and the importance of song. So I really pray that your attention is here, your focus, uh, and I hope that you get something. So um, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are, being who you are. We thank you for being loving, kind, your loving kindness, God, your mercy. Lord, we ask that you just grant understanding and revelation in your word. Oh, God, that we may see the praise that should be due to your name coming from the inside of our spirit, God, proceeding from our spirit to our lips, to all of our body, God, praising you for who you are. God, you are worthy. We can shout all day your praises, Lord. Help us to just grow in our knowledge of you, God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I pray that the teaching today, I pray that it puts a little more praise in your mouth. That is my my goal, that it puts more praise in your mouth, that you glorify God even more, that you sing and you shout even louder at the glory of God as we look today. And um, I'm going to read something to you real quick. Listen to these lyrics. Holy, 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 if you take me, I will be getting off easy. Lord, you have been good, good to me. If you take me home, I will be getting off easy. Holy, 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 Lord, you've been good, good to me. Your mercy is everlasting. Lord, you are mighty, mighty. Those lyrics right there was a song that none of you have never heard, ever heard. Why? Because they were my lyrics that I penned to the Lord. Um, lately, I've been in this practice of waking up in the morning and just singing to Jesus, just singing songs to the Lord. Yes, some songs that we sing here, I'll hum that to the, to the Lord, but I've also just been loud on the words, whatever's coming off my heart and turning that into song. And that was one of the songs I was singing to Jesus, just praising him, that part where I said, if you took me, if you took my life and I had to go, I would be getting off easy. I, I say that because I feel like he has just so blessed me. And I know we're gonna have trials and tribulations in this world, but it's just his grace and mercy has been so heavy on me, that's the way that I feel. And so I've just been getting up in the morning and Just singing to Jesus before I go into doing anything, just singing to the Lord. Before I would go into prayer, I would often go to God first and just start airing out all my problems, airing about I need help in this area, God, I need this and that. But now it's just, let me just sing a song to Jesus. Let me sing a song to my Lord. And so I want to encourage you in your own personal devotions. Um, one, be mindful that when you enter into the presence of God, that you're just not going in there and just, just complaining and asking for this or that, but that you just go in there and worship. I would even encourage you to spend 20 or 30 minutes just singing to the Lord, just singing to God, singing to Jesus, singing his praise, reading scripture, reading those scriptures out loud to your soul, singing song, going back to scripture, and just continually just being in his presence and praising his name in song. Um, That's that's just what I've been doing lately. And this has so blessed my soul. Brought me into a closer, I feel, relationship with the Lord. So sing to the Lord. Sing your song to the Lord. Lyrics that only your heart knows. Sing the Psalms to the Lord. Reflect on His goodness. And continue to sing more and more what God has done in your life. So I really want to encourage you to sing. And that's what's part of this teaching today on praise. I want to show you how vital it is to sing, how vital singing is to the praise of God. Oh, it's, it's so, so vital. And that's what I hope that you will see, that if you're not doing singing to the Lord, you're missing out in your devotion. In your devotion, when you go in your prayer closet, you have your word, sing songs unto the Lord, praise His name, begin to just speak what He's doing. And it just, I don't know how to explain it. It just begins to just open up your soul when you begin to just sing to the Lord. Which is no surprise why from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament and and in Revelation, mighty men and women of God, that is one thing that they have in common. You find them singing songs to the Lord for every occasion. Every great man and woman of the faith, from the Old Testament to New, you find just praising God, singing songs. In the Old Testament, you will find the children of Israel, for example. When they're going through a great trial, you will find them just singing and praising God. When God answers their prayers, you will find them just singing and praising God. You will even find people in the Old Testament, Moses, and we'll look at this later, on his deathbed. Some of Moses' last words, Deuteronomy 32, guess what? It is a song. That's his last, some of his last words in Deuteronomy 32. Before he dies is a song. Songs are so vital to praise. They're so vital to worship. And even in the New Testament, after the institution of the Lord's Supper, after Jesus had instituted that, you know what Jesus and the disciples did when they left the upper room? The scripture says that they sung a hymn. They begin to sing praises, leaving communion. So we see that song is so vital to the praise of God. Paul tells the Ephesians to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. And in Revelation, we find the elders, the the, the elders falling down. They have harps in their hand, and they begin to sing songs of praise and worship to the Lord. See, you see, singing a song, it is so vital to your praise of God. Now, I know at this moment, I want to speak to one person, or not one person, this type of person. The type of person that I used to be, where I would say, um... Yeah, I don't want all that singing and clapping, that emotionalism. I just want to get to the word. Just give me the word. And I would say those things, and people say those things to think that they're kind of being noble and pious. Yeah, we don't want all that clapping and emotional and singing. Just give me the word. But I realize now that when I had those thoughts, and that is you as well, really those are ignorant thoughts. Really me trying to remove song from my praise is really hijacking my praise of God because songs are so important to your praise of the Lord it's so vital and we more than anyone I would say when I say we I'm talking about the reform camp the reform group who love doctrine and good theology we have to guard against this more than anyone because in this particular camp we have a tendency to look down on people who show, who have emotional expressions, or who are real jubilant in their praise. And we look down on them as if they're, they don't really know anything. And while it's true, the reform camp can't teach the charismatic camps, the Pentecostal camps about doctrine. Guess what? The charismatics and Pentecostal can teach the reform camp about praise and worship, vice versa. We can learn even from that. So. In last week's sermon, or last week's teaching, we looked at worshiping God in spirit and truth. We looked at the true worshiper worships where? In spirit and truth. It starts inside. It's the spirit spirit connection between my spirit and I'm worshiping God and the Holy Spirit. And that worship is not just on just the figment of my imagination. We learned that that worship has to be based on truth, right? It's not based on ceremonial rituals. It's not based on... Um, Holy days is not based on special offerings, but it's based on Jesus Christ. It has to be based on the gospel and what Jesus teaches about God, what Jesus teaches about God's word. And without that, we've seen that your praise is just gonna be all emotions and feelings. If you have no truth in your mind and understanding of what you're praising, then your praise will be all emotions and feelings. Remember, to worship means posture, right? posture. So we got to have our spirit and our heart aligned and we have to have the right posture of heart. The humility of bowing down before God and saying, God, you are greater than I. Remember the Greek word proskuneo. It means to bow down in cultures when somebody would approach the king or they would approach someone who was mighty, they would literally bow down on their knees and put their forehead to the ground. That was a type of reverence. That was a type of reverence. Now notice that what I just said, people would go into the presence of a king and they would literally bow down. They would basically use their whole body to tell this person that you are holier and and greater than I. They're using their whole body to bow down to express worship and reverence. Now, while we are not obligated as believers to literally bow down, again, God is not so much concerned with our external worship He's not so concerned with that, but it is something that can be good to do that when you go to the Lord in prayer on your prayer closet, in your prayer closet or even here, it can be good to bow down and worship at the feet of God. Now, another thing I want to just make clear is that this study on worship praise and worship, it's, it's pretty narrowly defined because worship is a broad word. You can go into just the worship of the assembly of the saints when we come here or when you're doing your own personal devotion, or you can look at worship from our whole life is worship. I'm not really hitting on that in this study. Pastor Brian is going to come to Romans 12, 1, which will really teach you about worship as your life, your service to God, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's that's the worship of service. And so we're not going to hit that today. This again, this is more teaching that's narrowly defined to the assembly of the saints or in your own personal devotion where you're praising and and worshiping God. Um, the Lord. So this is more aimed to that type of, of worship. Amen? We good here? So again, just definitions. Worship is posture. With, with worship, you don't even have to say anything. It's more the posture of the heart. It's more acknowledging in my spirit, in my mind, that God is worthy, that God is holy, that God is great. Now, what we're looking at today Praise is more of what we are ascribing to the person that we are worshiping. That's the difference between praise and worship. Worship posture, praise is more what I am ascribing to the person that I am worshiping. Another way of looking at praise is, praise is worship expressed. Praise is worship expressed, worship in in action. And generally when it comes to praise, Praise generally starts with words that come out of our mouth. And I say generally because I understand there are some believers who are mute and can't speak. And they can still praise and worship God. But in a general sense, praise is what comes out of our mouth, what we are saying to God. And that is why the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 15, says this, Let us continually Offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So praise is the sacrifice of our mouth, our lips, giving thanks and praise to God. It's, it's what's coming out of our mouth, our lips. That, that's praise. But praise does not just end with our lips. Yes, it may start with our lips, but praise can involve our whole body. Just like your whole physical body, if you're gonna be worshiping and bowing down before that emperor, your whole body, your whole body can also be involved in praise such as when you are clapping your hands, praising God, like Brother Oleg was doing today, he was clapping his hands and praise unto God, using his body, or, or when you're stomping your feet, you're using your body, praising God, or even when you are dancing and worshiping in joy before the Lord, you're using your body, or we find in scripture where people are having instruments and they're playing instruments unto the Lord, that's all praise, that's all worship, that's all using your whole body. So praise is not just what comes out your lips, my brothers and sisters. It's your whole body that you're doing. Now let's get into the, the, the songs that we sing. Because as I mentioned, song is so vital to your praise. Let's look at the types of songs that we sing or that we should sing in praise unto God. And our text will be Ephesians 5.19. Can we, can we go there? Ephesians 5.19, we'll also look at Colossians 3.16. Ephesians 5, and so there are generally four types of praise and worship songs, generally four types of praise and worship songs. There's uh, Psalms, there's hymns, there's spiritual songs, and then there's a new song, a new song is what we again will look at a little bit later, Revelations 5, 9, Psalms 96, we'll get to that a bit later. But generally, you have four types of praise songs that we ought to sing unto the Lord. And Ephesians 5.19 reads, and it kind of lists the three, at least, and then we'll look at the fourth one later. But look what Ephesians 5.19, how it reads. It says, this is Paul writing to the Ephesians. He says, speaking to one another in what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So that's what Paul tells the Ephesians on on how they ought to praise God in song. They ought to sing to one another. He says in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? And look over at Colossians 3.16. Turn to Colossians 3.16. Look what he says here to the church in Colossians. We hear Colossians 3.16, look what Paul says here. He says, again, to this church, let the word of Christ dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Do we see how it's a parallel? He tells both churches the same thing. When it comes to singing songs of worship, he says, you need to sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, right? Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. And who are we singing these songs to? According to this text. To the Lord, but what else? How does Ephesians 5:19 start? Speaking to who? Speaking to one another. So, we see that in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, he's talking about the assembly of the saints. He says, speaking to one another, and he ends that verse with making melody to, um, to God. So, we ought to sing what? To one another and God. Now, notice how Paul starts the text on singing in both of these verses. He starts with the external songs. He says, singing to one another, meaning I'm singing words are coming out of my mouth. I'm singing psalms. I'm singing hymns. He says, singing to one another from the words that are coming out of of our mouth, how we are going to admonish one another. We're going to teach one another in the psalms that we're singing. And then he ends this statement on singing by saying, making melody in your hearts to the Lord making melody into your hearts to the Lord. So he, he, he starts with the external. He says, sing to one another. Let your words go forward. Sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And he ends the same verse in both chapter in both books, by saying, making melody into your hearts and to the Lord. I like giving thanksgiving to God. So he starts from the external, and he moves all the way to the internal. Now, I'm not sure if Paul intentionally put the order this way, But here's the thing that I have noticed in my own life and why I kind of think he's hinting this way. Here's one of the things that I have noticed in my own life. If we're going to keep it 100% real, let's keep it real here. There are times in our life when we don't feel like praising God, if we can be honest. Let me go for that. There's times in our life when we don't feel, I'm using the quotes feel like praising God. On the inside, we don't feel like praising. I'm not really enthusiastic about praising, right? There are times when we just do not want to praise in our feelings, in our inside. And I find that even in my own self. But then I find when I begin to just open up my mouth, When I begin to just sing songs of praise, it starts to do something to my spirit. It makes my spirit alive and it allows me to enter into true spirit and spirit worship of God. It started only external with the words that were said, but those words came back and and awake my spirit to where now I'm worshiping truly in spirit and in truth. See, brothers and sisters, I I know that sometimes when we sing, we are definitely not feeling it. I I know that sometimes when we sing, we we just just offer up words. We're not feeling it in our spirit. But guess what? You still have to sing anyways. Even when you are not feeling like it on the inside, just begin to sing praises unto God. Just to begin to acknowledge his name. And it it does something in your spirit where now your spirit is alive. See that, my brothers and sisters, that is me singing to the Lord. Now, the the other point that I believe that, that Paul is making here is that sometimes, let me put it like this, I know for a fact that There are times when many of us come in here, like I said, I know myself when I come to church, I'm not always in the spirit, but I also know that my brothers and sisters are in the same feeling or the same way. I know that my brothers and sisters may walk in here, they may have had a bad week, and so they're here just coming to church out of obedience to Christ, but they're not in the spirit of singing, they don't wanna praise his name, they're just coming. I know that when I sing, and so because I know that when I sing, I sing loudly, I sing passionately, not so much because the song is ministering to me, but I sing passionately and loudly because I know that my brother or sister needs to be encouraged. I know that when I sing, I'm now singing to encourage not so much myself, but I'm singing to teach and minister to my own brother and sister. See, when we come to worship, you don't just come thinking about yourself. See, when we sing songs and hymns to one another, it will. Encourage that broken soul of your brother and sister who may be down. So that is why, not just for yourself, why you should sing loudly. You should sing loudly for that brother or sister who just needs that encouragement, who needs to be taught God's truth in song. And so when you sing loudly and passionately, you are now ministering to that brother. We're now teaching one another and admonishing one another in song. Do you see how this connects? That's why it's so vital. That is why when, I'm sing- when I sing, I sing passionately because I want to encourage my brother or sister who I know may be down. I want to remind them that God is not done. Believe the truths of God. So I'm going to sing God's truths in song loudly and as passionately as I can in hopes of encouraging my brother or sister in their own walk. That is what you must do when you sing, my brothers and sisters. We sing, as Paul said, to encourage and teach one another And that requires us to sing, not just about us, but understanding, yes, that song may not minister to me, but I know my brother and sister they're going to something right now, and I'm gonna sing that song loudly just to remind them that, yes, God is with you. For example, last week, we, we sang, God only knows. God only knows. And I know that that song really spoke to some folks last week. Because I know in my own life, there's times when I feel like nobody gets me. Well, I feel so misunderstood. But that song right there reminds you that God knows if nobody else gets you, if nobody else understands you, if nobody else does, to know that God knows. And I know that people were dealing with things. So when I'm singing that song last week, I'm singing it to that brother or sister, I know that it's just looking for that encouragement, saying, yes, brother, you're right. Everybody else may not get you, but God knows. So God only knows. So I'm singing that passionately because I want my brother or sister that I know that's dealing with problems to be encouraged to know that God is still there. Yeah. See, I'm teaching one another. We're teaching and admonishing one another through song through words. That's why song is so vital or the song that we sometimes sing, I won't go back. You know, I won't go back, can't go back. I'm singing that passionately to encourage my brother, no, I'm warning, you don't want to go back. You don't want to go back to the way that it used to be. You don't want to go back. So I sing that passionately and loudly for my own soul, but also for the souls of the body of Christ to remind them of God's truth, to remind them where God has brought them and that you don't want to go back. See, that is teaching in song, reminding one another God's word, his truths. So my brothers and sisters, sing God's truths loudly. When the song is speaking God's truths, sing God's truths. Sing it to encourage those who are struggling in the body. Sing and clap loudly because you know that your brother or sister needs that. They need to see. They need to know. Sing for me as well. Sing. Sing for your own soul. See, when we sing, we are speaking to one another in songs. So it's important to sing songs. Are you, are you seeing how vital song is? That's why this study is just blowing me away. It's not just something that we just put aside and say, I'm just going to jump to the word. No, song is vital to the assembly of the saints. Now let's dig a little bit into the type of song that Paul says that the Ephesians and the church of God should be singing. So the first song that he puts on this list, grab some water real quick. The first type of song that he says that the church should sing is Psalms, Psalms. Now notice Paul is speaking to the Ephesians and Colossians. And the church in Ephesus and in Colossians, they were likely made up of um, Hellenistic Jews, meaning these were Jews who were influenced by Greek culture. We've seen that in Acts 6 when there was a debate over the Hellenistic Jews and the um, bragged Jews. So these church, the, the, the Ephesians and Colossians, these were, again, likely Hellenistic Jews influenced by uh, Greek culture. And it was a church made of, of, of Gentiles. So, uh, and, and Paul is now about to teach this church of Gentiles and Hellenistic Jews um, He breaks Songs of Psalm. Talking about a culture clash. That's a culture clash, right? Can you imagine you being a Gentile? Now, you're learning these Hebraic songs. And so Paul is teaching them these Hebraic Psalms and and likely because um, at the time of this writing, the popular version of the Old Testament was the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So again, if you ever in your Bible, if you see in your footnotes, LXX, have you ever seen that in your footnotes? That's just pointing to the, that this is what this text says in the Septuagint. The LXX just means 70, because there were 70 translators of the Old Testament to Greek. So Paul is teaching these Ephesians, these Colossians, he breaks Psalms, and, and it's a different culture, and it's a different group. And He's teaching them the the beauty of singing psalms. So he directs the church to sing psalms. Now, the beauty of... This is very important. Please understand this point. The beauty of singing the psalms is that many of the psalms point to Jesus. That's the beauty of singing the psalms, that many of the Old Testament psalms point to Jesus. And guess what? This is a New Testament advantage that we have over the church, and that is that in the psalms that point to Jesus... The Israelites didn't have a name for that king that you often find in the Psalms, but we now have a name and we know who that person is. And if you're like, what are you talking about, Jerome? Let me give an example of what I mean. Turn to Psalms chapter 2. Psalm 2. I'm going to show you what I mean by that. Old Testament, Psalm 2. So you can imagine the New Testament church, the Ephesians and Colossians, they're getting together, and I'm about to praise God, and they're going to sing Psalm number two. And I want to show you the advantage that we have over the ancient Israelites. So when the New Testament church would get together, let's just imagine that they're reading Psalms two. Do you know when their heart would likely light up when they read Psalms two, and what verse would like, that it would likely light up? Does anybody want to take a guess on which verse that you, that they would probably even sing it even louder than they sung the other verses? I want somebody to take a guess on which verse they would probably sing loud. Look at Psalms chapter two. It's twelve verses. Which verse do you think that they would really sing loud? Good job, young. That's exactly it. Kiss the song, verse 12. In Psalms chapter two, when the New Testament church, the Ephesians and, the, and, the, and Colossians, when they sing Psalms two, I would assume that their voice would even get louder as they sing verse 12. Why? Because look what verse 12 says. It says, do homage to the son or kiss the son that he not become angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, Psalms 2 is a psalm about the reign of God's anointed king. The ancient Israelites, they had no idea who this king was. But we in the New Testament, we know that this son that is written, verse 12, has a name. We know that this song that is written, verse 12, where he says, kiss the son or at least he be angry. We know that this song has a name and that name is Jesus. See, The old ancient Israelites did not know the identity of the son. They didn't know anything about him, they just read this text, but now us in the New Testament, we New Testament revelation now when we read chapter 12 we know that when it says to pay homage to the son that is God hand, pay homage to my son Jesus see we can sing that verse louder because we have the understanding of who it's talking about see that is the advantage that we have even over ancient Israelites we can put a name to this son we can put a name to this person that the father is honoring we can put a name to this anointed one that God is has the psalmist writing about See, that is our advantage. We have this light. We can sing the truths of this and know who this is really talking about. They can sing it, but they didn't have the understanding that we do. See, now when we sing this, it means a lot more because we know who this son is. That's the advantage. See, it's kind of like this, and some may be offended by this reference I'm going to use. It's back in the day when I would listen to secular songs, right? There was this song, I'm, I'm gonna give you a perfect example. Some of y'all, there was this song by Tamara. I think that was her name, or Tamia. It's called I'm So Into You, right? And back in the day, I would sing that song as a kid, as a teenager. And it's about being into your, your spouse, your person, really just in love with them. And I would sing that song, it was a good song. But about a year ago, I heard that song. It came on, I don't, I don't know where it was, maybe it just came up in my YouTube feed. And I played it, and when I sung it this time, I didn't just, when I was singing I'm So Into You, it wasn't just no random person. Now when I sang that song, it had greater meaning. Why? Because Esmeralda popped up in my head. Now that song had a real context. It had a real person that I could sing and now that song meant more to me. Why? Because I have this wife now and when I hear that song, I'm thinking about her. I have a person to attach it to. That is the same thing here in 12. This son, we know the name of the son. That son is your Lord and Savior, Jesus. That makes this song even much more beautiful as we sing it. So that is why when the New Testament church would read this I'm sure their voice even went up louder because you know that's my lord right there they're talking about my Jesus right there they're talking about the one that saved me right there he's the son that you better come and pay homage to he's the son you better bow down to see we have this revelation in the new testament and so we should just rejoice and that is what we should do we should rejoice This is the son who has set us free, it says, right? And this type of person, this son that we pay homage to, he deserves all the praise that we can give him. Because it is this son that has freed us from sin. It is this son, I'm sorry, that has set us free. Now, I know some say that, um, some say, but, uh, yeah, I don't like rejoicing in the Lord like that. I mean, I, I rejoice in the Lord and I sing songs of praise to God. Yes, he's my son. Yes, he has set me free. But when it comes to singing God's praise, I, I just don't rejoice like that. I don't shout like that. Yes, I know this is a song and yes, the old the New Testament church probably when they came to that verse, they probably shouted when they said the son kissed the song. But that's just not me, that's just not my personality. I'm, I'm, I'm more reserved and I, I don't show emotion and expression like that. And I know that's probably the argument, but I, I wanna say that yes, you can be reserved for everything else in life, but you must understand that the gospel is not an ordinary thing. Yes, you can be reserved about many things in life and not show praise and emotion, but when it comes to the gospel, the gospel is not an ordinary thing. And because it's not an ordinary thing, the gospel does not deserve ordinary praise. The gospel deserves incredible praise. So sure, you can be reserved. But when it comes to the gospel, that rule doesn't apply. When it comes to the gospel and praising God's name, when we sing his song... There should be praise in our spirit. There should be emotion and jubilation when we sing the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is about a sinner being reconciled to God. The gospel is about the love of God remaining on you for eternity. The the gospel is about you and I now becoming sons and daughters of God. There is nothing ordinary about the gospel. And because there's nothing ordinary about the gospel, when we sing the praises of God, there should be something stirred up in your spirit. See, the gospel is about slaves being set free from the bondage of sin. Being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, of kingdom of light. The gospel should require or should bring out some type of praise and jubilation in your spirit as you sing songs unto God. Are some of you familiar with Juneteenth? Is anybody familiar with Juneteenth in here? Well, Juneteenth, um, Juneteenth is a, it's a, it's a holiday. It's a holiday that celebrates the, uh, when the slaves in Texas come to find out that they were free. Because when uh, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, it didn't come to Texas until about two years later. And so when those slaves that didn't know that they were free came out, When they heard the news that they were no longer slaves, that they were now free. Do you know what they did? They partied in the street, they rejoiced, they celebrated, they made, they had a big deal. It was a huge deal. Why? Because they were formerly slaves, but now they were free. And so now even years after in every state, they have one in Sacramento here, Land Park Juneteenth happens. And people remember, and they, and they celebrate Juneteenth, they celebrate the day when slaves, people who were formerly enslaved, were now set free. And in those events, they celebrate with dance, they have festive uh, events, they have food, there's, there's music. Why they are celebrating these slaves who were formerly enslaved to, to a master who are now been set free. That is what these formerly enslaved people have done. But guess what, my brothers and sisters? You too, like these slaves in Juneteenth, you too were enslaved to sin. You too were enslaved to wickedness. You too were enslaved to your lust. But now in Jesus Christ, you have been set free. So just like those Juneteenth slaves who are out dancing in the street, excited, that is the same emotion, that is the same passion that you should have when you are singing praise unto God that I was once enslaved, now I am free, now I'm walking in righteousness, now I have holiness in my mouth. See, that should change you. There should be emotion and expression Jubilation just like my ancestors did when they realized that they were free. See, freedom should do something to you if you are truly free. It should do something to you. If you're not, yet, I can see why you don't wanna clap, why you wanna get all reserved. But if you have truly been set free, if you are truly not in bondage, you celebrate that, you praise Jesus for that. That is jubilation. Think about what David did. In 2 Samuel 6. In 2 Samuel 6, they're bringing the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem. What does the text say about David? David starts dancing before the Lord. David is gigging, he's moving. He's excited. Why? Because they're bringing in the ark of the covenant. He's dancing for joy because of what God has done. He's dancing before the Lord and what do we find? Our sister meanwhile doing Michal was doing when David is dancing. She sees David dance. This is Saul's daughter when she sees David dancing. And the scripture says that she has contempt for David. She thinks that's beneath David. What's she over there dancing for? You don't look dignified all dancing. You don't look dignified showing all emotion. She, she, she doesn't know about Psalms 149, 3-4 that says, Let them praise his name with dancing. Let them praise his, let them sing songs to him with the tremble and lyre with the tambourine. Let let them dance with the tambourine and praise. See, she doesn't know about this and she's looking at David with contempt as if you're better than that, David. That's not dignified, David. You can't be all dancing and showing this joy and emotion. And David rebukes her like, God has chose me. God has done this for me. That is the reason why I dance. And here's the truth of the matter. There are some of us, hopefully not in here, but there are those in Christendom that will have the same look as Saul's daughter when they see people celebrating and praising God. They start looking at them with contempt, thinking, oh, they're crazy, thinking they're just full of emotionalism, but when yet they are praising God, they're judging them, but they're praising and dancing before God. Let me give you another verse about dancing. Jeremiah 31, verse 4. Let me read you what the text says here. Jeremiah 31, 4 says, Again, I will build you, and you will be be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, again, you will take up your tambourines. What are those loud things? He says, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. You will take up your tambourine and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. Let me give you the context of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is a book where he's calling Israel to repentance. Israel doesn't listen. Because of that, he's letting them know that God's wrath is coming upon you. You are now going to go into exile. But in verse 30, the Holy Spirit tells Jeremiah to tell the people that God is going to redeem you, even though you are going into exile right now, even though things are bad now, even though your, your your walls are going to get destroyed and burned down, even though the temple is going to destroy it, I am going to restore your fortunes. And so in this verse, God is telling these people who are, who are exiled, who are going to be exiled, he's telling them that, guess what, even though it's bad right now, even though you are enslaved right now, even though it is dark right now, guess what, I'm I am going to rebuild you. I'm going to rebuild you. He says, oh, virgin Israel. And again, guess what? You're going to take up that tambourine and you're going to dance again before me in joy. Yes, even though it's bad right now, I'm going to redeem you and you're going to dance before me with the tambourine. And guess what that redemption is? That redemption starts and begins with Jesus Christ. He is that redemption that Jeremiah is teaching to the children of Israel. That redemption that is coming is Jesus. And he says, you're going to dance again. You're going to have that tambourine moving around. Why? Because you have been redeemed. You have been restored. What was lost is now found. What you have lost, now we are bringing back. See, dancing is scripture. This is not crazy Pentecostals. This is not crazy charismatics. Matter of fact, they got it right. You can praise God because of what he has done in the scriptures. It's not my word, this is the Bible. You guys are seeing this. This is the Bible. I'm not making this up. This is Scripture. David, Jeremiah. See, they're they're moving. Now here's where we get maybe a little off. It's your volume of dance and praise of God before his goodness may not be like mine's. So you don't got to do it like me, but there should be some movement and rhythm and praise in your body when he has truly done something great for you and you realize his goodness. So for example, in the churches that I've grown up in, you would have church mothers. We call them church mothers. These were the older women of the church. They actually sat in a particular area and when they would begin to praise, you would see these older church mothers and they would get in this pew right here. And when they're praising God, they are shouting, they got their hands up and just in their little pew, this little circle, they're just like this, just praising God, just like this. They're not doing too much movement. They are praising God for what he has done. That is their little dance. So again, I'm not saying you have to break dance. No, I'm not saying that. You're going to do it. But, But what I'm saying is it should do something to you. That is what we see happening in the people of Scripture they rejoiced at what God is doing. And again, I said, everybody's volume is different. Again, the church mother's, hers was just in a little circle. She's praising and shouting out the name of Jesus. But I've seen other places where a believer is doing crazy dance, he is out there praising God. He is moving around, he is clapping, he's crying. And people are looking at him crazy, but what people don't know is that that guy or woman was hooked on crack cocaine before or last year, but now they're set free so they're praising God. Or that woman was a prostitute last year, but now she's free so she's praising God. That is the reason they're dancing. They have been delivered, they have been set free. And so they wanna give God praise. See, my brothers and sisters, that's the reason they're dancing. It's a guy who was hooked on pornography last year, but now he has a wife who he loves and he has made a covenant with his eyes and he's now free, so he's praising God in his dance. Just like David did with the Ark of the Covenant. Praising God, just like what Jeremiah said, you will dance again when your redemption comes. There should be something in us, brothers and sisters. So the Psalms are important to sing because again, they point us to Jesus. Psalms like Psalms two, and they also show us that we have the right to dance before the Lord. Now, here's the other thing that the Psalms gives us the green light to do. The Psalm gives us the green light, the green light to shout. The Psalms gives us the green light to shout the praise of the Lord. Now, in Hebrew, the word for shout is ruah. It's ruah. And in and, and King James Version, your Bible would often say make a joyful noise. That's the word ruah, that means to shout joyfully. That means to sound an alarm when people were going to war and they, you know how you have your enemies, if you ever seen like uh, Braveheart and they have the two enemies and um, two armies and they'll go and shout, they'll go ruah. You're supposed to intimidate your, your, your enemy, that's what ruah means. It's to shout, it's to sound an alarm, it's to say something very loud and that's what shout means. And that's what was happening at this event that me and brother Anthony, Fernando's son, that's what was happening at this event. People were shouting in praise to God. People were uh, exclaiming and giving them praise with all of their being, all of their souls shouting and praising the Lord. See, shouting is vital to your praise in God. Shouting is something that you should do. It should boil up inside of you. That is why we read verses like this, Psalm 66, that reads, Shout joyfully to God, all the earth, Psalm 66. Psalms 81.1 says, Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Psalms 89.4 reads, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song for joy and sing praises. So the Psalms, it gives us the green light to dance. The Psalms gives us the green light to shout. The Psalms point us to Jesus. The other beauty about singing the Psalms where Paul was encouraging the church to do is that the Psalms, guess what they do? They address all of the complex issues of the human condition. The Psalms address all of the complex issues of the human condition. What do you mean by that? Psalms 42 addresses depression. We know that believers deal with depression. Psalms 42 addresses that and gives us instruction on how to deal with that. Again, that's part of the human condition that we all face. It's good to sing sing a psalm like Psalms 42 when a person is depressed. Psalm 73 addresses that thought that we always say, why do the wicked prosper, right? Why do those who are doing wicked prosper? Why do those who seem to be doing so bad seem to be having so much success in life? Well, Psalm 73 answers and addresses that question. That's again, one of those complex issues of life that singing the Psalms will help address. Psalms also teaches us about death and the loss of a loved one. If you go to most funerals, you will hear Psalms 90 read which teaches us about death. So again, Psalms, they address the major complexities of this life. They teach us and give us the principles of praise and worship in our in our shouting, in our dancing, in our clapping. The the Psalms point us to Jesus so we see why the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus and the Colossians to sing the Psalms because the Psalms have so much to offer. And that is why today we song Psalms 23. Because the Psalms, the inspired word of God, is, it is great to sing those. They will encourage the soul. Now the next type of song that Paul encourages the church to sing is hymns, right? Hymns. The Greek word for hymns is hymenos. I mean, hum, humnos. Humnas. And guess what? It's recorded in two places in the Bible where Jesus sang That's Matthew 26, 30, and Mark 14, 26. And in both of those places, it says that they sang a hymn, a humnas, humnio. So at the end of the Lord's Supper, when Jesus and the disciples are leaving out the upper room, the scripture says that they sung a humnio, meaning they sung a hymn. Now, many commentators will say, well, they were probably singing a song, but that's not actually the word there in the Greek. The word is humnio, so it's a, a hymn. Now, when we hear this word hymn, many of us immediately think like amazing grace, right? When you hear hymn, we think amazing grace when we hear the word hymn in Ephesians. Or we think, come thou found, right? Why? Because that is our 21st understanding, our 21st century cultural understanding of a hymn. So we read that, we think that he's talking about a hymn or something that looks like that. But that's really not the case. The word Humniaus, guess what, it just means a song of praise. It means a song of praise, which can be many different types of songs. Not just your um, Come Thou Founts and Amazing Grace. Those are hymns, but those are hymns, guess what, that our culture has culturally defined as hymns. That's why I would say culture matters, culture matters. Our culture has defined a hymn to sound and look like Amazing Grace and Come Thou Fount." but that's just our culture and here's the crazy thing if you really think about it many of the great hymnals that we sing they, are, they were done by one particular group at one really particular time period many of the great hymns we sing, guess what, they were sung, they were written by one men English men <laughs> from a different class and most of those were written, guess what, in the 17 and 1800s so you can imagine when they're writing this hymn, they're writing from a different perspective, which is a lot different. That's just, that's a really deep topic that we can go in and it'll probably cause a lot of controversy. So I'm not gonna go there, but I'm just trying to bring out this point that most of our songs are, have been defined by one particular culture, one group, at one particular point of time. And we say, now nah, that's the standard of a hymn. Wouldn't really know that's just how we have culturally defined it. So, but I'm gonna leave that alone. Um, but hymns are again, essentially just, they're praise songs, songs that specifically deal with praise. Like with the Psalms, the Psalms, you will find the writer dealing with his own issues like Psalms 42. He's depressed or he's dealing with certain issues of life. But in a hymn, it is strictly largely just focused on praise, not necessarily the person, but just a song of praise unto God. And Paul tells the church, you ought to sing hymns. You ought to sing songs that just specifically praise God. Now, the next type of song that Paul says that we as a church should sing praises um, in, the, in the form of is spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty around this term spiritual songs. He, Paul says to sing spiritual songs, but he doesn't really clarify what a spiritual song is. So most would say it's songs that are inspired by the spirit or spiritual type songs, songs that speak to God and who he is. And when it comes to um, spiritual songs... Is anybody familiar with Negro spirituals? Have you ever heard that term Negro spirituals? Nobody has heard the term Negro spirituals. One, one I'm gonna say this, if you are really about evangelism and apologetics, you need need to know other cultures, that's one. You wanna be more informed. Um, Negro spirituals were songs that are based off of Ephesians 519 that enslaved Africans would sing while they were enslaved and working. So based off Ephesians 519 the Africans who couldn't read or write would make up songs to help encourage one another as they're out in the field constantly being you know enslaved. They would um, make up songs to encourage one another doing hardships and so these spiritual songs were really just meant to encourage the believer to keep on keeping. An example of a spiritual song or a Negro spiritual is, have you heard of the song, um, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? That's a Negro spiritual. That's a spiritual song. Um, How does it go? It goes, uh, I wrote it down here. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. So they're looking for this chariot, looking for God to come and rescue them out of this misery, right? So you can see how culture matters, right? Look at the Negro spiritual songs. What are they singing about? They're singing about being enslaved. They're singing about eschatology, the new heavens, new earth, that they're looking forward to when they're no longer enslaved. Some will say that the, the, the slaves, they didn't have time, like some of the hymn writers, to contemplate the stars, right? They didn't have time to contemplate nature, why? Because they were constantly being enslaved and beaten and all these things. So their songs have a different context of what they're singing about. They're singing about trials. They're singing about overcoming. They're trying to encourage one another. And that's what spiritual songs can be. Songs that just help encourage the believer. They may not be songs that are directly like just praise songs, but they're songs to help encourage one another. Just like God only knows, right? That's a song to help encourage you that God knows what you're going through. It's not a particularly just high praising song, but it's a spiritual song that equips the believer to keep going forward in the race that God has not left. So spiritual songs are vital. Many of the songs you hear on the radio are spiritual songs when they're about the person and the struggles that they're dealing with. Those are needed in the body. We need people speaking these types of songs. Why? Because that encourages us to keep on keeping on. So Paul tells the church to sing spiritual songs. We should sing spiritual songs. Um, I had another example of a, a Negro spiritual. Have you heard of the song that nobody knows my trouble? That's a Negro spiritual. It goes, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You can imagine a slave saying that, right? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. That is beautiful. You are enslaved. You are going through so much, but yet you're saying, nobody knows but Jesus. That is just like the same song, God Only Knows. And now when he said God Only Knows, this slave is saying the same thing. Only Jesus knows the trouble that I've seen. See, that encourages the soul to know that God has not forgotten you. That is a spiritual song that we ought to sing. Last. Spiritual song, Negro spiritual. Have anybody heard the song? He has the whole world in his hands. Negro spiritual. That's where that comes from. Slaves who couldn't read or write, but yet they wanna praise God in the midst of their storm. Still giving God glory. That is a spiritual song that can encourage the whole body, right? Spiritual songs are vital. Now here's one of my favorite, the the favorite um, types of songs. This is the fourth one, and if you look in your text, you would say, Jerome, there is no fourth song. Paul only says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, where are you getting a fourth song from? Well, this fourth song that the church should sing is known as a new song. We are encouraged to sing a new song. A new song was a song that a believer would sing, and this song, the content of this song was based on the recent victory that God just did for that person. So the psalm was, or the content of the psalm was very recent. It was about deliverance that God may have brought a person through. And so you find, for example, psalms 96, psalms 98, and psalms 14. They all start off with, sing a new song to the Lord. A new song to the Lord. Psalms 33 3 says, sing to him a new song. Now, to really show you what a new song means, I want you to turn to Revelations 5, 9. And I think it'll make it clear. And why this is one of my favorite type of songs to be sung. Revelation 5.9. This is the elders. Look what happens here. Look at the song that the elders are going to sing. Revelation 5.9 We hear? Here are some pages turning. This is what the elders sing. It says, and they sang a what? New song saying, worthy are you to take the book, to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Do you see this new song that they're singing? What is that new song based off of? The first couple of verses. If you read the first couple of verses, there's the scroll. Nobody can open it but the Lamb. Remember, John is crying. He's weeping in this verse. Where's it at? In verse four. As a matter of fact, I'm going to start in two. A- I'm going to just come down so you can get the contact. This is so important. I saw in the night, I'm starting at verse 1 of chapter 5, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. So there's a book with seven seals on there, right? He says, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Verse 3, and no one in heaven on earth or on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the book and look into it. So look what John does. Verse 4. Then I begin to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book to look into it. So nobody can open this book, and John began to just weep. Look what he says next. And one of the elders, I love this, you need your believer or your brother and sister in Christ to always remind you of God's truth. Look how this elder goes and reminds John and tells him of some truth that he's just not seeing. Five, and one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. That's what you got to tell your brother and sister when they're stressing out. Brother, stop stressing. God is still with you, you need that encouragement. Oh man, this is so good. He says, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. You see, John is weeping because nobody can open the seals. What happens with the elders? What is the new song about? The new song is about this lamb who's able to do something that they can't do. The new song is about something that God just did for them by providing the lamb. Do you see how that's the content of the song? The song is based on this recent deliverance that God just did. That's why it's called a new song. It's a song based on your personal experience that you just had with the Lord. These are new songs. And that is what the psalmist says in 96 to sing a new song to the Lord. Why? Based on this goodness that you just experienced. Why you were sick in your body, now you are healed. Guess what? That should be a song. Sing a new song. You were going through trials and now you have made it out. Guess what? That comes, becomes a song. See, this new song allows each person in the body of Christ to become a songwriter. Yes, we may never sing your song in the Assembly of the Saints, but you could sing your song, just like I start off with the song that I sing to God. that is a new song. Everything that you go through should result in praise, and you sing in songs of praise to God. That is a new song. That's why that is so vital. You're all songwriters. What have you gone through? What have God delivered you from? Praise his name in song. Use that circumstance and use those lyrics. I was broken down and God, you brought me out. I was addicted to that, Lord God, and you changed the the desires of my heart. Praise your name. Everything, it's a new song. I was sick in my bed. The doctor said it was all bad. But then God, you came and delivered me. That's a new song. That's a new song. That's why Christian music should never be bored. That's why Christian music should never be tired because each and every day we experience God's grace and mercy. Therefore, it means there is something to sing about a new song. You find that, guess what? With the children of Israel. Exodus 15, that's called the Song of Moses. Exodus 15, you can read it on your own time. Exodus 15, verse 1 through 18. Guess what? When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, guess one of the first things that they did. What do you think they did? Sing. Sang a song about it. Just about what God just did right then and there. That's called a new song. Right? He, he brings them out. They cross the Red Sea. They make a song about God delivering them and destroying th- their enemies. Them crossing over the Red Sea. That's a new song. New songs are important. Mary, when Mary goes to meet with John the Baptist's mother, baby jumps in her her womb. She acknowledges, Mary, that you are carrying the Messiah. What does Mary start doing? She breaks out into what's known as Mary Magnificat. That's Mary's song, Luke 46 to 56. Mary's now singing a song about God doing something for her. That's a new song. That's in the spirit of a new song. Same thing in the Old Testament. Anybody remember Hannah? Remember Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 2? Hannah could not get a baby. Remember, she just wanted the baby. God delivered her with a baby. What did she do after she got that baby? She made a song about it. She made a song about it, and she began to praise God. That is, again, in the spirit of a new song, just based on what God just did for you. Hezekiah. Remember Hezekiah was sick? Hezekiah was sick. In Isaiah 38, verse 9 to 20, after Hezekiah is healed, guess what Hezekiah does? He makes a song about it. He sings a new song, thanking God for his healing. New songs are all throughout the Bible. That's why the psalmist says to sing a new song. That's why Christian music can can be broad and address all these different topics. Why? Because they're going through different things that believers are going through, and they need to hear that. We can sing a new song. You can sing a new song. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Now, there's a guy who wrote an article. I don't share his views, but I get where he's coming from. And it's even on John Piper's website. It's Desiring God. It's one of his writers. He wrote, he wrote an article and I can send it to you if you want. And he's arguing for that the church should not be singing older songs. That we should constantly be singing new songs. So he's like, we need to let go of these older songs and just be singing new songs. And he's basing it again on Revelation 5-9 and Ephesians, I'm sorry, Psalms 96, 98, da 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 So he's saying, like, we need to be singing new songs. We need to let go of these old songs. Now, I know some of us, like, no, you're not taking away my hymn. You're not taking away none of these. But he makes an argument, and I get the spirit that he's saying it in. He's saying that we need to constantly be making new songs. He says that the, the Bible doesn't command us to sing old songs, he says, but it commands us to sing new songs. And so he makes that argument. I don't hold that as extreme as he's going, but I get why he's saying that. Um, A real life example of that is Hillsong. Hillsong Church in 2016, they retired. You know the popular song Ocean? Spirit lead me where am I? Right, Oceans. That song and the song that we just did today, Shout to the Lord, they retired those songs, meaning that they would not sing them in their church. And he said, why? Because God has made us creative and innovative. Why are we still singing these whole things? He like, we need to be singing more new songs. And so I get, he's doing that in the spirit of Revelation 5, 9. So singing a new song again, it allows all of us to be songwriters in a sense. Praising God through songs. So church, do you see why, I, I'm, why song is so important? This was really mind blowing to me because I was again, I was one of those people like, just give me the word, just give me doctrine, just give me theology. And like, no song is every person that's great in the Bible, man or woman, they had songs in their mouth that they even wrote themselves. So it's very important, my brothers and sisters, that songs be in your praise. Now I understand why choirs like, practice throughout the week. Just like a pastor is preparing his sermon and studying, you have choirs that throughout the week they're preparing their song. Why? Because it's vital. Praise and song is not just something you just flippantly do. They're practicing. They're spending time. Why? Because song is vital to worship. And they recognize that. So I can't condemn them for that. So my brothers and sisters, I hope you are saying that singing these psalms the breath that we have, we, there's so much that we can sing praises to the Lord for. Hope this teaches you to be less judgmental on certain songs that you hear. Songs on the radio, songs that are sung in church. Understand they're probably fit in one of those categories. So we can't be judgmental. So my brothers and sisters, praise God. Praise Him for the song. If you're reserved, remember, the gospel is not an ordinary thing. You can praise and dance and clap to the Lord. Why? Because you are no longer enslaved. You have been set free. Praise God. The gospel is no ordinary thing. Praise God with song. Praise God with dance. Praise God with clapping. Praise God with shouting. Praise God with instruments. Praise God with psalms. Praise God with spiritual songs. Praise God with hymns. Praise him with a new song. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, I thank you for this beauty of your word. Oh, God, making us songwriters, we could sing to you all day. God, we could sing the songs over and over, God, of your goodness, how you have delivered us. We praise your name for it, God. We will glorify you with the songs of our mouth, of our lips. God, we will use all that you have given us. We will use our broken circumstances, God, and we will turn those into songs of praise because you have delivered us. You have put a new song in our mouth, God, because of your mighty hand. Praise your name, Lord God. Mighty are you. God, we approach you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.